This episode of the How a Business is brought to you by Stroke of Genius. The Stroke of Genius podcast is back for season three. Each episode tells a different story from the world of intellectual property with cool interviews with green entrepreneurs, innovative scientists, and other creative minds. Find the Stroke of Genius show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to The How of Business with Henry Lopez and David Begin, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. My guest today is Jody Daniels. Jody, welcome to the show. Hi, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited about the, having you and having you share with us uh, your insights on this topic. Uh, the, the question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we aware and compliant with all of the privacy laws that we're responsible for as small business owners? How do we, how do we ensure that we're not violating these laws? And equally important, are we building trust with our customers and our clients? So Jody is going to introduce us to the primary areas of privacy compliance that we need to adhere to so that we can best serve our customers and protect their privacy. To receive more information about the Howa business, including links to the show notes page for this episode, just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996. So let me tell you a little bit more about Jody. Jody Daniels is a certified informational privacy professional with more than 20 years of experience helping a range of businesses from solopreneurs and small business owners like us to multinational companies in privacy, marketing, strategy, and finance roles. She built a successful corporate career working for large companies like Deloitte, the Home Depot, Cox Enterprises, and Bank of America, where she most recently served as the privacy partner for digital marketing and digital marketing. Jody started her privacy career by creating the comprehensive privacy program at Cox Automotive. And then in 2017, Jody founded Red Clover Advisors, and we're going to chat with her a little bit about that experience. And they have helped hundreds of companies create privacy programs, achieving GDPR, we're going to learn what that is, CCPA, and other U.S. privacy law compliance. And she also helps her clients establish a secure online data strategy that customers can count on. Jody makes privacy easy to understand by breaking it down into measurable steps using plain language that her clients and me and us can relate to. She's passionately or she passionately supports the idea that privacy is more than just compliance and concern over getting fined or sued. It's a human right that we all deserve and something we, we need to be doing because it's the right thing to do in our businesses. Jody lives in the Atlanta, Georgia area. So once again, Jody Daniels, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Looking forward to this conversation. We've never addressed this topic specifically on the show. So that's why I was excited to, to have you on. So thanks for taking the time to be with us. And if uh, you're at home, so as I am, so if we hear kids or animals in the background, that's just the way it is these days. That is true. There is a, <laughs> uh, a loud barky dog next to me. Hopefully he's going to cooperate. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he will. He might have something to say about privacy, but we shall see. You know, see. he does. He often barks at some fun times during it. And I, I always have a good, good comment to say. No problem. All right. So I want to learn a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey. You spent quite a number of years in working for large corporations, and then you go off and start Red Clover Advisors in 2017. Tell me briefly the story of what led to that. 
Sure. So I did. I spent 19 years in corporate America and the former accountant in me knows that to the day it was actually 19 (laughs) years because yes, I remember that. And I come from an entrepreneurial family. I, I was sort of the oddball to go into big corporate companies with my quote unquote secure job. And I worked for four large companies and it was a matter of just when was going to be comfortable for me to go. I actually had dabbled with the idea in 2015 and then ultimately realized, no, I think I want a little bit more. And so finally in 2017, I'd kind of made a mental note to myself that when my kids were starting a new school, I I wanted to, to be on my own. I wanted to have my company launched by then. So I really sent a mental goal of when I wanted that to happen. And you know, I'm, I know there's so much chatter about it. You have to be ready and, and it's uh, kind of a, a mental shift, but truly that was now my new goal. And I spent all of my free time very focused on that. And it was officially in August, 2017. I'm proud to say that the first day of their school was also the first day I had my official work, my first official work call in my new company. Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay. So, so much I want to break down there. What did you think you needed to get by going into the corporate world first? I'm assuming that's kind of was your thinking. What did you think it was going to give you that would then better prepare you to be a business owner? So for me, you know, as a, as a young graduate of, of college, I wasn't ready to start my own business. I just, it wasn't something that I thought I wanted to do. And I had kind of taken the safe path. And and at the time I was in accounting. So I followed that. It was easy to get a job, easy-ish to get a job um, in that field. And I just kind of followed that path. And I was always searching though for the right thing. I never could find it. I was always a little bit unsettled and I loved the challenge and the journey. And I'd find something and then it was, it was I was happy and it was almost a roller coaster. And then I'd get bored because I was in it. I had tackled whatever the problem was and I was ready for the next thing. So I kept finding, I was almost an intrapreneur in corporate. And when I had mentioned in 2015, I felt like I needed something a little bit more. At that point, I was in the privacy field. It was sort of, I've, I've had lots of different fields within companies. So skill sets and functions, I've done different things. But at that point, I had a feeling I was going to go into the privacy field in for my own company, and I wanted additional experience. And that was what really led me to continue to stay and do another um, another corporate role. And at that time, it was with Bank of America. And it was a great choice that I did because I, I learned the financial industry, and I had gone from starting a privacy program in a large company on my own to going into a mature, highly regulated industry and really able to see the differences, which I'm able to help clients with today because I had such a wide range of experience. And, and for me, and really I think for anyone listening, you have to be ready, but at the same time, there's never a perfect time. There's just not, people always say, well, well when XYZ happens, then I'll go and do it. There's never a perfect time. You just kind of have to say, this is when I, when and what I want. And then you begin to make it be the right time for you. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Jody. That's exactly right. And, and you're absolutely right. In fact, I have a whole course and focus on, are you ready and assessing if you're ready? So that was part of it. You also didn't quite have the idea for what you wanted to do, 
But I want to go back to the point you made about the, the safety of it uh, or the risk of it. Despite having grown up in an entrepreneurial family, you still seem to have put a lot of risk associated with a business versus a career. Where, where do you think that came from? Well, you know, I just, I think every family kind of has their experiences. You know, for us, we got caught in the 1991 recession. I sort of learned what that was like. And I didn't really want that. I went to a business school. So, right, learning all, all the pluses and minuses in finance and an account, you know, you got an internship. So I got experience and really all you had to do was do a good job at the internship and you got an offer. And that seemed like a really smart idea. And at the same time, everyone I would talk to would say, oh gosh, accounting is such a fabulous place to start your career. And the reason for that is you are exposed to so many different businesses at a very young age and you're exposed to managing a team and significant work also at a young age. And it's true because what's kind of funny is now I'm all about process and personal data. And I started my career all about understanding really a business process from a financial point of view. So I'm almost doing similar things but just instead of counting dollars, I'm, I'm reviewing personal information. Yeah, so it, it did help and be a really great starting point. You know, and I think at that time when I had started out, it was not quite where people come to an organization for just two years and then they move on. And especially in the accounting profession, you sort of stayed for a number of years and there were, there were certain turning points as you come in here and then you turn on. And in the school that I was in, it wasn't, I don't think entrepreneurship was as popular then as it is now. It's also so much easier to start a business these days. It just wasn't as popular then. And most of my colleagues in my undergraduate business class, I don't think anyone at that time started careers as an entrepreneur. Today, that would be very different. If I went back and I went to Emory University here in Atlanta. That's how I got here. If I went back, there's a whole course for undergraduate entrepreneurs. It's mm -hmm. just very, very different. Yep, but when yep. I was there, you go and find your corporate job. That was what you do. Yeah, so I know. did. I, that's what I did. Yeah, no, great. Thanks for sharing that. Great, great insights. Uh, and that, that's so much the story of a lot of people, including myself, who transitioned from the corporate world. Um, when you did make that transition from a financial perspective, I'm assuming you were in a position where you could make that shift financially. I'm assuming you had savings, maybe the spouse continued working. Tell me about financially, how you were ready to make that transition. Great question. And it ties a bit to the risk part of me and my risk profile. And every individual really is going to have their own risk profile. So for me, I, I do have a, a husband who had a job we were able to ensure that our health benefits continue to come from him. But we did save. And there, there is a financial analysis that you need to do to determine what, you know, what are your expenses going to be in the new business? What are the life expenses that you have? I didn't want to go into debt. So what is it that I needed to, to be able to ensure that I didn't need to do that? So we did have that conversation. We did plan for it. And you know, we were in a, in a position to be able to do that. And in my business, I don't have a lot of costs. So you know, I work out of my home and I have marketing costs and sort of you know, legal costs and insurance and some of those basic costs, but I don't, I don't manufacture a widget. I don't have inventory and I don't need an office space. So my costs are 
are nominal. And the way I've structured the business is I've continued to scale the expenses proportional to the revenue. So I, I am using all those accounting skills that I had <laughs> and, and continuing to, um, to do that accordingly. And it, again, is probably kind of tied to my risk profile and my comfort level with managing the, the financial aspect. But that is a very important piece to, to starting a company or, or starting on your own is you really do need to manage what are you comfortable, you know, what is someone comfortable with and what is your financial picture look like? What expenses do you have? What if nothing happens for a period of time? You know, what is the bandwidth for how long you can go until you earn a dollar? Yeah, absolutely. No, it's great points. I'm glad you shared all that. Absolutely. And I think that is part of being ready. It's not just a mindset. That's a big part of it. But but are you is your financial uh, side of it, your personal finances in order? And again, you got to calculate that runway. So many people don't do that. And then what happens is they put undue stress on the business to somehow pay them what they were making by month two, and it just doesn't work. Right. Now, realistic expectations is, is important. And, you know, if you are able to plan in advance, depending on what your business is, you can do a lot of kind of the prep early work as best as you can while still maintaining a full-time job, which I did that. I, I did a lot of networking, but at the same time, when I cut the cord, it was when I was really able to focus in on my business and people were able to understand what I was doing. And I was full full in, right? It was ever. And at that point, you then have to make it work. You don't have the cushion of anything anymore. So I do think that there's also a little bit of a shift and that helps with maybe whatever you weren't doing very well, or maybe you weren't conveying what it was appropriately, or you, you didn't research everything that you wanted to. You, you took the night off a little bit. Now that you had to, it's amazing of how much more you can accomplish. Yeah. Agreed. Good stuff. Thanks for sharing all of that. All right, let's dive into privacy compliance and building customer trust. I thought we'd start with just, if you would just introduce the, the topic at large, this, this concept of privacy laws from the perspective as us as small business owners, right? So uh, just introduce it there. What are we talking about here when we're talking about privacy laws for small business owners? So there's a variety of privacy laws. And here in the United States, we take what's called a sectoral approach. So if we think about, you go to the doctor's office, you have HIPAA, you have the health information. If you go to open a bank account or your credit card, they have to comply with financial privacy laws and a number of them. We're all familiar with the idea that you can unsubscribe from an email. That's the Can Spam Act. Or try and get on the do not call list. Stop calling me during the dinner time or stop texting me all those annoying texts that we get these days. Those are all different laws. And what's happening is as we move into a more digital economy and a global economy, the laws need to catch up with the volume of data and how it's being collected, used, and shared across companies, and in some cases, even with governments. And as a result, you're having these kind of different privacy laws appear. So the whole, the whole notion of these privacy laws, and I know we're going to get into some of them in specifics, it's really to help protect the individual today and inform the individual. So privacy principles are basically inform, give me choices, and protect. So if any business, they're going to choose you to buy a product or deliver a service because they trust that you're going to be amazing at the product or the service that you have. 
They also expect that when they give you the personal information to deliver this item to my house or to, to make the financial transaction, that you're, that they're going to have their data safe. It's not going to be compromised. And if you're going to share it with someone that you, you told me, right, the last thing that someone wants is for that information that they gave you to be shared unknowingly. And then we violate that trust and it's, well, wait, why, why, did, why did you do that? Why didn't you tell me? So these laws are trying to get at what companies have kind of misused data, misshared it, done it so much, and people don't understand the massive ecosystem that is happening with how data is analyzed and predictive analytics and artificial intelligence and just the massive sharing across companies and across uh, countries that is happening. And then, it, of course, it all gets exacerbated because of small business owners. I don't have the resources. I don't have a privacy team. Uh, and so what happens for us is we kind of just remain ignorant, which is not good, right? Right. And, you know, so one of the laws that we can talk about is, is GDPR. It's yeah. called the General Data Protection Regulation. And that is the law that is from Europe. It actually, while we're recording this, it just recently celebrated its second birthday. Congratulations, GDPR. You are a toddler. And that law doesn't, it applies to any business of any size. It includes nonprofits. It could be a solo blogger in Tahiti that is serving an EU audience. And the reason why that's important to understand is the GDPR takes the view of I'm an individual, whether you're a small company or a big company, you still have my data. You should treat it and respect it, regardless of how big you, the company are, it, I'm still the same individual. The US takes a different approach. The United States is very much small business friendly and tries to minimize compliance efforts to a small business. So it's kind of newish law is CCPA, the Con California Consumer Privacy Act that just became effective January 1st, 2020, and is expected to be enforceable July 1st on 2020. I say expected, it's a long, complicated legal thing. But that takes, there's minimum floors of how small your business needs to be. To, it's all about how much data you're processing or how much money you make or what you're doing with your data, there's sort of these three criteria that you need to determine, do you qualify? Now, there's a separate part that we can talk about in a little bit about are you truly a small business and when else you might need to comply. But we take, there's no, those are vastly different approaches. The EU is all about, it doesn't matter, an individual is an individual. The US takes a very business-friendly approach and if you kind of think about it from your customer's point of view, they're buying this product or service from you. They are an individual. They don't really say, you know what, well, it's a small business. It's okay if, you know, you just put my information anywhere or you didn't protect it. I'm okay if you lost my data. That's okay. No one's going to say that because you're a small business. They expect high quality products, high quality service, a good experience. In fact, they might expect it even more because you're a small business. Mm -hmm. Okay, let me start to break this down because it's a lot you've given us here, uh, this great stuff. GDPR, is that still European only, but it, affect, it impacts us because, of course, we might be selling or providing services in Europe or has it been adopted in the U.S. as well? So the way GDPR works is it is a 
EU privacy law. So yeah. it is a law governed over in the EU, yep. but it applies globally to any company or really I shouldn't say company, any organization that is selling or serving an EU resident. Yeah. So I could be a company, I might be a service provider and all my clients are in the United States. So I do nothing with the EU, but the clients that I serve, maybe I'm touching personal data for them. Maybe I'm an ad agency or I'm a payroll company or something like that. If the data that I have is EU data kind of on behalf of my company, then they often will ask me to comply because I have EU data in my little fiefdom over here. Mm -hmm. But traditionally, if I have a global audience, so maybe you have a blog or you have an information business and I'm trying to target and market to people in the EU, that puts you in scope for the law. The CCPA, that's not just California specific or it is, but because obviously I may have clients in California, it applies to me. Uh, I was confused there. It's ex That's exactly uh, what you had just said. It is also now a global law. So our EU friends now have to deal with CCPA too, <laughs> if it complies to them. Right. It, it is, if you have California, if you have customers or quite honestly, employees as well in California, both of these laws include employees. And so if, if you're a business and you have customers who are in California, then it might also apply to you. Again, there's sort of this criteria for California. It's a little bit different than, than GDPR. But if you're a business that's national and you're trying to get people from around the country, then California might apply to you. Ima you know, imagine you're an online business and you're getting that information or you're a national business, then that particular law might apply to you. And what I've also seen happen is I've seen small businesses get requests from people not in California. Um, and we can kind of talk about what this is, but they're getting information as if the law applies to them, even though they're not from California. Okay. So then the company has to make a choice. What do I do? This is Henry Lopez with a brief pause for this episode to let you know that one of my favorite podcast shows, Stroke of Genius, is back for season three. This show from the IPO Education Foundation is about intellectual property, but it's as far from a patent contract or a law textbook as you can get. Each episode of Stroke of Genius tells a different and interesting story from the world of intellectual property, from the Harry Potter copyrights to Syracuse University trademarks. The series is filled with engaging interviews with green entrepreneurs, forward-thinking scientists, and the business people who are genuinely interested in supporting and protecting creativity and leaving something good behind. Stroke of Genius episodes are only 30 minutes or less. It's a great listen, so subscribe and check it out on ipoef.org, on Apple Podcasts, or by searching Stroke of Genius wherever you get your podcasts. All right, you mentioned some criteria, so it sounds like a very small business may not have to adhere to it, or what did, what did I miss there? So the way the California law works is there's three different criteria, and first, California defines an in-scope organization really by for-profit, so in theory, the nonprofits are excluded. I say in theory because if you are a nonprofit and you have a large base there's going to be some people that are not going to understand that and they're just going to expect it to apply to them. Right. 
So then you again kind of get into this technicality. And if you answered back, well, I'm so sorry, Miss, you know, uh, donor, thank you so much for your big donation, but I'm going to ignore your request because I don't have to pay attention to it. That might not go over so well. And let me, let me interrupt there. When you say request, it has to do with my ability to choose to have you um, remove that data or not use that data. Is that correct? When you say there, Yeah, request. so there's these, exactly. So there's, uh, I'm trying to break it down into kind of small bite-sized nuggets, but there's this idea of an individual right. So I'd mentioned these basic principles of notice, tell me what you're doing and then give me choices. The choices are formalized in these laws. Under GDPR, they use the word data subject access request or a DSAR. I like to think of people as individuals. And in the United States, under California's law, CCPA, they call it an individual rights request. So I like, and many other people do too, we kind of call them individual rights requests. And that is where I get to make some choices beyond just unsubscribe from an email that we're all accustomed to or put me on your do not call list. This goes beyond that and says, you know, I want you to tell me what kind of information you have on me. They call that an access request. And now an organization needs to know what kind of data they have to be able to honor that request. And or we can talk about some of the nuances of how you do that, but, but just at a high level, you have, to, you have to think about, well, Jody from Georgia might make this request to you, or Jody from San Francisco might make this request. I want to know what kind of information you have on me. Or, you know, I really want you to delete the information. I don't want to do business with your company anymore. Please delete the information you have on me. Now, these are not absolute requests, meaning if I request it, company automatically has to do it. There are some exceptions that a company has to go through and kind of figure out what, what do I have to comply with? What do I not have to comply with? So you have to kind of go through a process. You want to make sure Jody's Jody and Jody's not Fred, mm. right? So there can be some false people that are here, but that's sort of this general idea is it's expanding my choices that I as an individual get. Now you were asking, I just want to close the kind of the question on, on the criteria, yeah. on the criteria. So for yeah. California, it's this for profit business piece and you have to meet one of these three, just one, either you make $25 million globally, you collect more than 50,000 data points. Now this is an important one because if you think about a website, if you have 50,000 visitors to your website, that could put you in scope. Do you have 50,000 people on your email list? Do you have 50,000 people on your, in your customer database? Do you process 50,000 data points sort of on behalf of whatever service you might be providing? And personal information under these laws is now much bigger than what most people think. Most people think data breach. It has to be personally identifiable. You have to think, oh, it's like me, my information, or it has to be financial information or health information. But personal information is much bigger. It includes all that digital information, those cookies, those tags, those IP addresses, all the digital information that we're using to figure out that 10 people came to my site or a thousand people came to my site or a million people came to my site. So all of, all of that type of information is now included, which is much different 
than what a lot of people have been used to before. To meet that 50,000 data point criteria. Right. And even in, gen- in the GDPR under the EU law, personal data is very broad. Mm-hmm. It can mean my religious beliefs, my philosophical beliefs, my political in other words, if, beliefs. If, I, if I've recorded that, either because it was part of my data intake when I took you in as a customer or you filled out some kind of a survey on my site, somehow, some way I captured that information about you. Right. Right. I, I mean, I might... Uh, exactly. It could be a survey. Maybe the organization is a religious organization and you know that, or a political organization. There's also oodles of third-party data brokers where you can buy this type of information. Sure. Uh, it's changing a little bit, but you can still buy that type of information. So it, in other words, it's much more than my name, my address, my date of birth or a social security number. A lot of people, we've been kind of trained to think of personal data like that. And now it's much more around, I can build this profile of the person and we want to think about all the pieces that help build the profile and can connect all the dots. And And, and and that add up to this 50K. In other words, the point you're making is that that 50K might sound like a large number, but it's, but it's not in light of how many data points there are that I might be collecting. Yep. And the third criteria, which I don't believe most people here will be in the business, but just in case we have anyone who is earning more than 50% of their revenue from the sale of data. Okay. So if you're in that data broker business, so you have a lot of data and sell it. That would make sense. So it sounds like the, the, the criteria that applies to most of us is the, the 50K in data points. And that's in a, in a period of time, in a year or, or a lifetime or what, what is? What yeah, it's an interesting question. It, it doesn't actually clearly state it. <laughs> yeah, most, nice. most, I know, most people kind of go with the year view, but at the same time, you might collectively have it. So if you have a database and you've been in business for five years and you have 10,000 a year, but you never delete it, now you have a database of 50,000. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's continue with scaring the bejesus out of us and then I'm gonna reel it back into what we can start doing. These data points, let's kind of follow with that with that piece of it. Because that's, I think that if I'm following at the heart of this information, this data that I'm collecting about the people, my customers, my clients, my visitors, that I'm supposed to keep private includes the obvious, like you've touched on an email address, your name and address, your, your ethnicity, your religious affiliation. Uh, it can also include, though you touched on a cookie that I uh, put on your computer when you visited my site or not. Yes. Yes. All, all the digital data is included and including honestly, like my, my Facebook pixel that, which is absolutely. the type of Absolutely. That Facebook pixel, that Google pixel, Pinterest, Twitter, all of them. And that's part of what, if you, if you then call me because for whatever reason and request that I, my business remove that Facebook pixel or what I'm doing with it, I guess I have a responsibility to respond to that. So you actually have a couple responsibilities. Um, The first is you need to tell me in a privacy notice what you're doing. Yeah, so 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 that's the the informed notice part of the three things that you you highlighted, right? Yes, so you have to understand all the data that you're collecting and how you're using it. And you have to disclose that to me. 
So you, you need to have an, an accurate and an updated privacy notice. In, and quite honestly, you kind of always have to have that. These laws are just really bringing it to the forefront. Right. And for most of us, we should have that inclusive on our website. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Where, where else should I have that available other than my website? Um, if you're sort of, um, you know, an in-store brick and mortar and you might be collecting information to, for a loyalty program, you can inform the person that they can go to the website to see more information. If you are in the healthcare business, you should have a HIPAA notice. Sure, and people sign in. We're all familiar with that now anytime we go to a doctor, right? Exactly. So those are really the main areas. You know, if you're going to use like fancy monitoring technologies or if you have an app or a technology or something like that, I mean, typically it's, it's kind of online these days. Yeah. Even, you know, I called Delta on the phone and they say, go, go online and see about the privacy notice about this call being recorded. So yeah. it, it's pretty reasonable now to, to send people online, but there's just really a few times where you might need to explain it in person. One of the things that we've done, I think that, that falls into this category is I at least or at least if I don't have a website, I need to have it documented somewhere so that I can share it if I'm asked. As an example, you know, we've had for a long time, if you handle credit card information, you're supposed to have some kind of a data privacy uh, process and rules, and that needs to be part of your documented procedures. So you need to at least have that in place as a small business owner, right? The, the internal rules of how we manage and keep data private. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, the, the idea is explain to me what kind of data you're collecting, what you're doing with it and who you're sharing it with. And yeah. so if you're going to process my credit card information, um, you know, you, you likely, especially in an online way, you have my name, my address, something, or maybe just my email and a credit card. So the credit card company that, or the payment provider of whoever it is that you're working with, likely in their terms to be able to use that product said, you need to go and disclose this. Yeah. Okay. So that's the inform and notice part of it. For the most of us, we're going to do that by putting that information on our website. And there's so many people who don't have this on their website. Uh, we'll come back to that if we have time. Second is the choice, which we've touched on. I, uh, you, you have the right to contact me and say, tell me what you're doing with my data and stop using my data, right? You do. There's actually a number of rights. So under GDPR, there's sort of like eight to nine. There's a lot of them. I just highlighted some of the big ones. Some of the other could be, I don't want you to process my data. I don't, I object to you processing. Another one is the ability so to What do you mean data. by processing? Give me an example of processing. So processing could be, I bought something from you. So you the the ability to send me whatever it is that I bought, that's a process. I'm I'm delivering whatever I've I've purchased. And then if I send you an email because I want you to buy my next amazing item, that's marketing. Right. So that's so, another So you process. have the right to sell me, take me out of your CRM system or or your constant yes. contact or MailChimp, whatever. Take me out of there. I don't want to receive anything else from you. Uh, besides the ability to unsubscribe separate from that, you know, I don't want you to mail me a coupon uh, and I have the right to request that you do that. Yes. Uh, under GDPR. And then the other is under GDPR, the ability to correct information. Maybe you have wrong information about me. I should be able to, to change the information that you have. 
And, and there are a number of others. I think those are really the highlights that we can talk about here. Yeah. If anyone is very interested, I have lots of information and, and it's easy <laughs> yeah. to find the, the nuance of it. Under California, the other big one, and if you go to a website today, you might start noticing it, is it's called Do Not Sell. So under California, this law actually has a big emphasis on the, what's called the sale of data. But what's important for people to understand is the sale of data isn't just what people think. I sold data, someone gave me a dollar for it. It's a very big why definition that can include for other valuable considerations. So kind of imagine a partnership. Two businesses get together, I'll give you this, you give me that. And if personal information is a part of that exchange, under California, it could be considered a sale. A so sale. you will notice, and there's a number also of very specific requirements. So I encourage listeners to go, like for example, you can go to ESPN, you can go to CNN, you can go to a lot of websites today. And if you look at the very bottom in the footer, you'll notice this do not sell my personal information. So kind of follow that link and you'll, you'll learn a little bit more about what that experience is all about. Okay. So with the choice, we've talked about informant notice, that's, that's from a small business owner, that's relatively easy for me to do. It's the choice part that, that scares me, right? And, and I'm sure it scares most business owners. How do I even begin to manage that and be able to respond to these requests? And what is it if I don't do it? What are your thoughts and what are you seeing when small business owners do this right? How, how do we go about trying to tackle that when we're a small business with limited resources? Right. So the first is you have to know the data you have. Uh, there's a time frame to be able to comply with these requests. Under GDPR, you have 30 days. Under CCPA, you have 45 days, meaning Jody submits this request. And in 45 days, you're supposed to provide me back whatever it is I've asked for, or, or tell me why you can't. And if I don't? And if you don't, then it depends on why you didn't. <laughs> so under CCPA, for example, I mentioned you have to make sure Jody's Jody and Jody's not Fred. So there's a verification process that you need to do. And it's actually a part of the law that says you need to verify. And so you'll need to verify. Now, if you you try and go through that process and then no one replies, well, then you have nothing further to do because you tried. And if I'm not real, I'm, I'm obviously not going to reply. So that might be one reason. If you just ignored me and just didn't want to do it, then what I could do as the customer is I can go to the attorney general of California and file a complaint. I see. I can go to social media and expose and share what I sent in and what they did or didn't do. And I have seen that happen before. I have seen people post on social media what their privacy experience was like, mostly negative. Okay, so I derailed you there. So what, what, uh, what oh, do you so suggest? Oh, so what they can they do? Yeah, so the yeah. most important piece is, is to understand the data you have. You've got to kind of document yeah. what information you have. And then you need to come up with a process. So how are people going to submit this? Now, California has some requirements depending on kind of how you do business. If you're online only, if you're not only online, it, it sort of depends. So you have to go through a little bit of an exercise to determine what your responsibility is. And 
when you do that, then it's okay. So Jody makes this request. Well, who's going to monitor it? Does it go to an email that Sally manages or Henry manages, right? What happens with it? And, and you kind of flow, have to flow it all the way through the business. If it's a really simple business, you might be able to really easily say, oh, well, if Joni makes that request, I know to exclude her from MailChimp and HubSpot, the end. But maybe it's MailChimp, HubSpot, Excel, and the agency that I sent it to, a little bit more involved. So you, knowing the data and what you have in your tools and systems is going to make this much easier. And then you need either an Excel version. I, I don't always love Excel, but if you're not going to get a lot of these, Excel might just be fine. But you do need a way to kind of record this in a secure fashion. There are some low-cost, inexpensive privacy tools coming on the market. So for any company that actually has a lot of these, they can do that. What I see most small companies start with is really just an email and an internal process in some internally secure documentation method, whichever is their favorite way to be able to record what's actually happening. That could be Excel, could be a Google Doc, could be in their Asana project management-like system, their Zendesk ticket system, some type of system to be able to document Jody submitted the request and what we did with it. And what we do with it. So we can, we can then show that. Okay. So uh, we, that's the choice part. Briefly on the protect part, I got to assume that encompasses what, what my policies are and then I'm, then that I'm putting forward my best effort to protect against data breaches, against hacking, against somebody getting it, against it, you know, somebody who's not supposed to see it, seeing it, all of that falls under that category. Is that correct? Right. So protecting data is really on that security side. And you have to think about, again, where is all that personal information? And do you have strong passwords? Do you have what's called two-factor authentication or multi-factor authentication? So that's, you know, where you go and you get like a one-time passcode, either on a text message or there's actual apps that you can hook different tools and software to and make it really simple. So you want to be able to make sure that you've locked down your data. More than two thirds of small businesses are going to have a data breach. Yep. Most small businesses think I'm too small. And actually hackers love that. Yeah, we're the because, biggest targets. Right, easy. because thanks for making it so easy. It's That's like right. the house that doesn't have the alarm sign. Well, I'm going to go attack that house. I'm going to skip the one that has the alarm sign in front of it because that one just looks harder. Yeah. Okay, and we can talk about that whole topic for hours. So to, to start to summarize, you know, the big takeaway for me is understanding the, these three components, the inform and notice. That's, that's an easy one for all of us to take action on sooner than later. The, the choice being able to, you know, how to, what is my process for allowing someone to ask me to remove or correct the data that I have on them? And then the protect, you know, that, that's part of our overall protecting our data, protecting our systems from access, from hacking and so forth. And I think the biggest takeaway that we'll come back to again, Jody, here is I need to understand how all of this data is being collected, where it's being stored, and how it flows through my through my company. And if I have partners, how it's flowing through all these different touch points. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Okay. All right. Great stuff. Uh, we'll come and summarize it again. But I, I want to have an opportunity for you to share with us the services that you currently offer, and I know you have a, a free download. So tell us more about Red Clover Advisors. 
Sure. So we are here to help the overwhelmed small and medium business comply with these privacy laws. That's us. <laughs> That's you. Yep. So we are really all around a bespoke model and helping to customize whatever the, the business is and what makes the most sense for them. So we do things like I mentioned the data inventory. We help do that either a guided DIY approach all the way to full service. Those privacy notices, we help write those. The individual rights process, we help create them. Um, and we also serve as a fractional chief privacy officer for companies. And what I've put together is kind of a, a privacy compliance checklist for CCPA and for GDPR. And um, we talked a little bit about that securing of the data. And right now in this remote working era, Data is actually additionally exposed. So what I've done is I put all of that together in kind of this special bonus um, of how to protect your data online. And people can grab it if you go to redcloveradvisors.com slash how of business. Wonderful. That's a great, great offer. Uh, I'm going to download it for myself. I had done the one of the checklists that you have on the site, which was great as well. But that, that's a great tool. It's a great way to start. Besides that, you know, downloading this, this checklist, what would you advise to someone who would, isn't doing any of this? What should they do first? And what I, what I love that question. And what I always tell people to do first is literally take an inventory of the data you have. Just, mm -hmm. just take a piece of paper out and figure out, you know what? We do email marketing. We do email marketing and MailChimp. We, do, we have a CRM. We use HubSpot. We use Google Analytics. We use Facebook. Whatever it is that you do, Write it all down and think about the different parts of your business. Think about the business, the financial part, the marketing part, write it all down because you can't do and you can't protect data. You can't comply with the law if you have no idea what you have. So that is the very first step that I highly recommend anyone do. And kind of like how you're always going to know what your finances are. Now you always want to know what data you have. Well said, well said. All right, let's take a, a turn here for a second. Book recommendation. I'm always looking for a, a book. Uh, do you have a recommendation on a book that you've read recently or in the past? Yeah, I love the book um, Atomic Habits. And I think it's really a great way to just remind us how important habits are. And, and what I like about it is it's small little nuggets do this one thing and that one thing keeps turning to the next thing and to the next thing and so on and so forth so it's atomic habits by james clear thanks i appreciate that that's been recommended before but i have not read it so thanks for that recommendation yes all right let's wrap it up let's summarize again what's one thing you want us to take away as small business owners on this topic of privacy compliance so it I would say that privacy is all about building trust. We've talked a lot about nuts and bolts of laws and protecting data, but at the core, everyone here is trying to deliver an amazing product or service to a customer. And as a part of that, when they do business with us, they trust us that we're also going to do right with their data. And so ultimately, I firmly believe that when we treat customers' data with respect, that we build a long lasting customer relationship to have them continue to keep coming and buying your products and services. Yeah, I agree. It becomes a competitive advantage, right? Absolutely. It, it truly does. If, if you're going to treat me well, I'm going to pick you. If the other person over here is not, I'm not going to pick them. Yeah. All right. Tell us uh, where you want us to go online again to learn more and to get the download. Sure. So to grab that CCPA GDPR compliance plus the bonus of the 
remote work, security best practices. Honestly, even if you tossed out remote work, it just has a bunch of really great security practices. It is redcloveradvisors.com slash how of business. Wonderful. And we'll have a link to that as well on the show notes page for this episode. Jody, uh, great conversation. We could talk for another couple of hours. Maybe we'll have to get you to come back on. Uh, appreciate you sharing, sharing all these details and insights. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much. It was a delight. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for listening to this episode of The How of Business. My guest today again was Jody Daniels. We release new episodes every Monday morning. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at our website, thehowofbusiness.com, where you can just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996 to receive more information. Thanks for listening. And thanks to our show sponsor, Stroke of Genius, one of my favorite podcast shows about innovation and protecting intellectual property. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.